You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. All right, Tim, it's great to have you back. You were the first guest on On the Run, and it's crazier now. Almost a year later, we are closer to episode 200 than we were episode one. Time flies when shit's getting strange. And um, this has been a topic that I I think you and I, you, you and I were writing into DC, I, I picked up you and Kim from Dulles, and we started talking about ancient religions. I don't know how the fuck that we got onto that train, but like that's been that's been one of those things that occasionally you bring it up on your Instagram, and you're actually allowed to be on Instagram, and, and I'm always tuning into that shit. And uh, recently, it's been one of those things. I think over the past year, I've been diving more into. I don't know whether it was the whole alien craze of 2020. Or, or it was the fact that, you know, I, I feel like as people were devolving into madness and uh, in, in order to really try and understand the future, I've been like, you know, maybe I got to understand the past more. And when it comes to lost civilizations, that shit has gotten me excited in more ways than I could really count. Some people might even say obsessive. And um, I don't know what, what you brought up the other day, but I, I reached out based off one of your... Um, Heels on Instagram. I was just like, you were talking about these guys called like the Scythians or something like that, and that like caught my attention freaking immediately. So first off, how's life been? And secondly, what the fuck is that? Okay, uh, for life has been great. Uh, I bred. I bred successfully. I have a baby daughter, and we named her Aria. Awesome. And uh, uh, yeah, and she's uh, she's great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. I'm about to be a property owner. I just got a new car the other day. Work my work my fingers to the bone and try to look to the future. You know what I mean? Try not to pay attention to my left or right so much. What what, but, what uh, I think it was Voltaire. He was like, you know, the world's going crazy, so I'm just gonna go tend to my garden. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you and good. I are trying to get to that point. I mean, ultimately, you can only control and do so much. And honestly, if you fix yourself, you'll pull out vibrations that'll influence the next man and they'll look over and you'll be able to actually do more by living what you're preaching instead of just yelling at people. After a while, it's like, like you were saying earlier, what I'm allowed on Instagram, like yelling into a hole doesn't doesn't really reach as many people as actually doing something someone else wants to emulate. You know, it's so weird. And I know this is off topic, but I'll just go ahead and bring it out now. Like every other day, there's like a new podcast. And I think I broke out of like being part of the generic, like libertarian podcast sphere about a year and a half ago. 
uh, when I started getting back into things. And, and now I'm at the point where, you know, I'm not doing this full time, but I produce four shows and putting out like 80 hours of content a month. And most of my job is around, uh, you know, creating, creating content for myself and my employer. And what I tell people is like, it's, if you get into like podcasting immediately to try and make money and immediately to try and like, you know, change the, the world and everything like that, you're, you're going to get frustrated and you're going to fail. I guarantee you're going to do neither. Yeah. If you go into it with just the love of wanting to, you know, have good conversations, hang out with cool people, have a good time, create good stuff. I'm not promising that you're going to get all those great things that you may want, but the odds are that you're going to impact how people at least try and see themselves in a way, at least begin to question more of like what makes them happy, what makes them freer. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the nuance we lose in utilizing social media that podcasts honestly kind of put back into place is human human error in the sense that you can listen to someone speak and hear them think behind their words. And it's not just words on a page that seem pre-generated that could have been made by a corporation as much as an individual. Like when you see someone speak, listen to someone speak and you watch them engage. It's a different level of communication that I think is uh, it's it's a nuance that's lost when people continually read their media or see edited pre pre created messages that have been sanitized through filters. Like human error is what I think what makes us beautiful essentially because cold efficiency is insects. Have you, <laughs> do, you do you have a LinkedIn? I, I feel I like not. you're a LinkedIn guy. Yeah, well, I, 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 need, I, I, I feel like I knew that answer. Yeah. Well, I, feel, I, I, I need to. Yeah, I need to make something like that because uh, I just got no, disallowed from no. sharing my bit shoot links on uh, on on Instagram, and that's the only social media I really engage on because Gab's influence is throttled, and I'm not going to do that new getter thing Trump put out because you can never delete your account, and people are already getting flagged for putting up like Baked Alaska, one of the most nuanced like shit posters, just got removed from a whole platform before he really posted anything edgy. So it's like, dude, I'm not signing up for censorship plus two, plus I can't delete it, and you need my license to sign up. I know, man. I've read 1984. Get out of here. Well, well it's like with, with LinkedIn. Like I, I got into a fight with this intern of mine at, at work because I, I, I tried making the claim that LinkedIn's not social media because why I define social media is like you're trying to be social in the generic term. Like you're going to go there to, to kill time. You're going to go there, get something. You might even buy something. LinkedIn, no one even gets a job anymore. And on dude, the message- Telegram's not social media. Telegram is not even social media. I I don't, I don't, I don't freaking get it. Telegram's not even that. Telegram is just t- telegram is people shouting. That, that's all it is. Into a hole. That's how I feel. Look, when, like when your when your outreach is throttled, when you can watch like your story posts go from two hundred views of your followers or three hundred views of your followers to fifty, and then back to two three hundred. It's not that people are skipping it. It's that the algorithm is preventing people from seeing it, and it's because it's content they consider to be inappropriate for whatever reason, and. What I find frustrating is people live in those whole algorithm pockets. Like I feel that I live in one where it's like even if I do all the proper hashtags that are current right now, you don't actually get seen by more eyes. Like you're stuffed in a back pocket. And I feel like one of the big problems people keep encountering now that they don't even realize is they're being shuffled into algorithmic echo chambers where they're hearing things they want to hear or they're being seen by people that already know them. And they're calling it social media, but it's not social. It's uh, yelling into a concrete hole and putting a cap on it. And the next person comes over and lifts the lid off and starts yelling. And you have no idea, like you have no real idea other than people that are going to seek you out. I'm sure you understand to some degree, because if you're not if you're not toting the mainstream line, then you're not carrying the weight. They're not going to give you any play. 
Well, I mean, I, I remember one time, so I, I used to take this uh, this migraine medication. It was also like part antidepressant. It was to help me sleep and to kill my migraines, uh, which were chronic, like, you know, 15 days out of a month. And, you know, they gave me like the trippiest nightmares. And I remember um, they were really bad when, when I was working at Parlor. And I had this one dream where I was literally at a bar with Benjamin Franklin and I was trying to explain to him what social media was. And he's just quiet. He's just like drinking his beer. And I'm just going through all this. And we're there for like hours. And then he finishes it. And he just looks at me. He's like, don't you people in the future have better shit to do? And then I woke up. And I'm like, well, fuck. That's a, that's a good question. And, and I, you know, when, when I look at uh, a lot of these like ancient civilization theories to, to mm-hmm. kind of tie it in, I, I, I look at the things that we think are so revolutionary now, but... When you when you go back in time, you look at some of these ancient civilizations that we're just barely trying to get you know a fraction of knowledge from. It's like people had this knowledge way back then. In some cases, they had better insight. Like I'm I, I'm I'm big into like crypto and that stuff and blockchain technology. And there's this like tribe in the Galapagos Islands that needed a way of basically accounting for their money and accounting for debts and things like that. And they actually had their own system of loans. We didn't think that a loaning system would come into humanity until banks and stuff like that. But they couldn't just track seashells. So what they did was they created these giant boulders that had these markings on there. And everyone had a little plot behind their hut where you could go ahead and you could move them into certain places. And depending on you know what markings were on the boulder and where the boulder was placed, you could tell what boulder belonged to who, when they gave it to somebody else, and how many boulders they had leveraged out to people. They basically created their own like open banking system. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, these people are like wiping their ass with their left hand and like, you know, worshiping sun gods, but they discovered, you know, basically open source accounting years before we'll even have a fundamental understanding of like basic banking and lending practices. And they've been doing that for like thousands of years. I think they're still out there. All right. Well, while that's fascinating, certainly I do think it is a perfect segue because what you're describing is a way of life that these people would have found beyond repugnant, right? I'd like to talk about the now. There, it's the Scythians. That's how I pronounce it. I believe Scythians is, is one pronunciation. I was but thinking like Harry Potter or something like so that. Little, okay. So little is known about these people in concrete evidence beyond what has been said by Hermotides, who was a Greek scholar, and then what's been said by the Persians, by the Palestinians, the Germans, the Mongolians, and the Chinese, and the Indians, who all had problems, and the Greeks, who all had problems with these folks. In addition, the the Scythians are in the Bible, in uh, Colossians, I'm pretty sure, where they talk about no, no, no Jew, no Gentile, no free man, no slave, no Scythian, no barbarian. So they're referenced everywhere. And the, the methodology Scythians had for living was uh, they didn't really embrace the concept of economy as far as commerce, uh, utilizing currency, and they did not believe in treaties. Instead, they were existing in the steppe. Now, the steppe, S-T-E-P-P-E, uh, the steppe mountains were the – it was a range when the glaciers started to recede above northern Europe. And there were these massive roving grasslands all the way from Mongolia to Hungary, one large strip of grassland. Roving grass as far as the eye can see, an emerald sea. The Dothraki in George R. R. Martin's uh, Game of Thrones are based off the Scythians. And the Scythians themselves, they believe, they understood that by herding animals, one day one of the maniacs jumped on the back of a wild horse, one of the wild Mongolian horses. That's where fjord horses in Sweden originated, these people. And they, they decided to jump on the back of a horse around uh, 400 B.C., 
And they built leather saddles that they then gilded with gold. They hand hammered. They developed composite bows out of animal horn. And then they became the first roving band of horse-driven barbarians who had a very simple philosophy. I have land I need on which to, or to, herd my, to herd my animals, to feed them. And we live off of milk and honey. Even Homer himself said they are a fine and just people who live off milk and honey. That was his quote about the Scythians. They had everything they needed in their tribe. They had protein-bearing milk and cheese. They could ferment mare's milk. They, uh, they had a massive roving trading network. And all they needed was the logos, a purpose. And they truly believed that it was their duty to live in, in coinkydink with the animals, in perfect animal husbandry, to let the horses get as old as 75, to ride elk who had large... You know, I didn't... I, I gotta stop you. I didn't know what animal husbandry was until like a year ago. I thought it was like some weird sex shit, but please continue. Oh no! Yeah, that that's fine. No, no. It, it, I mean, you understand. It's just breeding livestock. Well, it, it just it just kind of like triggered that memory in my head. I'm like, what the hell is that? But please continue. Yeah. No. Um. These people they they were uh, an ask not take only culture. They everyone they encountered around their neighbors. They had it was a similar policy. You don't want to face them in combat because they believe the only way to achieve the afterlife is to die. It's the origin of Valhalla theory. So you don't want to fuck with them in combat, but. If they come to you and ask for tribute, you might as well give it to them because they're not going to let anyone else tax you. Like they're going to say you're you're under their favor. They get to use their herd on your grassland, essentially. But if they come by your city walls, don't poke the bear, because as soon as they figured out now around a thousand BCs, when it really got wild for them, they started building leather saddles. When the Greeks and Romans rode on blankets or bareback, they had leather saddles that were gilded with foot stirrups. They built a uh, stirrup or a, a sheath that would hold up to 200 arrows that were bronze-tipped about 600 years before the Bronze Age. They were completely self-sufficient. They utilized uh, what, what's later called the Sakai or the Sumatran like, um, culture originated with the Scythians. They went all the way through Iran. The, the Golden Warrior, anyone that's listening or wants to look into oh, this? Oh, yeah, right. like, yeah. The king, like the Kingdom of Sumer. Yeah, exactly. You know the Golden Warrior. You've seen it in Iran. The Golden Warrior was a Scythian. He wore a Scythian helmet. His bow was composite and filled directly into his his quiver. That's Scythian. And he was wearing riding shoes because his shoes, the soles, had patterns. That means you're sitting and squatting on your toes and you're displaying the bottoms of your feet to other people as a social symbol. He was Scythian. Like that was no, there are no chairs. Oh, I forgot to mention this. I'm, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. There were no chairs in a Scythian society because Scythians were entirely nomadic. They would separate from their women. And this is really going to blow your mind. If the men were gone for too long, right, and the women were oppressed by their neighbors, they would say, we're not going to take husbands with our neighbors because that would be like slavery. So they would slice off one breast and the women would become warriors to use a bow. Think Amazons. That's where Amazons came from, Scythian women. The whole legend of the Amazonian warrior is Scythians. These people are so riddled with badassery that they have infected every facet of our history involving lone Nordic warriors fucking shit up in the woods like they would travel with their their sheep and they wouldn't use the sheep for meat because the sheep would die very very old they could tell this from their remains they used them just for wool and they drank cow's milk and horse milk and then they would use yaks and oxen they built wheels and they were using yak oxen i'm sorry ox and uh oxen and yaks to pull carts they would do very basic agriculture in the sense that they plant something and circle back on a two-month circle and pick up whatever they'd planted and rough harvest and keep moving. They, were, uh, they would um, – the Greeks – here, I've got some stuff from Hermodides here. 
That's uh, I always think they're good quotes. It's good to go back. Whenever I'm doing any sort of research, like Barry Cuncliffe is a guy. Barry Cuncliffe just did a video for Google in 2019 talking about the Scythians, talking about how uh, around 1000 BC, the only people that they encountered that started really messing with them was the Assyrians and then eventually the Sumatrans. And, they, and uh, that was only because when the Roman Empire started coming north, uh, they settled amongst the, they settled right above the, the Black Sea, essentially. And they know that they had settled there and pushed out some of the local Celts and Turks that had lived in the area because they found bronze arrowheads and skulls, mass burials. And they were some of the only people that were using bronze at the time. But Herodotus described Scythian warriors as ruthless. They were a fighting force that were nearly invincible. They wore cloaks made of their enemies' scalps, and they drank out of gilded skulls. They were ferocious people. There are stories uh, all the way to the, to the Flying Hazars. Uh, you know about the Flying Hazars in Poland? No. Oh, dude, the Flying Hazars were right when Islam was pushing all the way up to the, uh, the Dark Ages into Europe. They're the Flying Hazars were Poles who put big wings on their backs, like Valkyries, made of gilded silver and steel, and they rode their horses down the steep mountains of Poland into oncoming enemies, and they held off enemies from Poland for like 40 years doing that, during the midst of the Dark Ages. Everyone that came, they would tell stories about these flaming angelic warriors that would ride over the countryside, and you don't want to go over there. There's like, there's griffins and magical creatures, and it was just these drunken Poles who would drink juniper brandy, like gin, basically and ride down when the sunset hit or when the sun came up was shining all over their armor, screaming their heads off. That, that is crazy. I mean, all these things, what, what, what I don't think people understand is that our sense of history is actually lesser than we, than we even realize sometimes. I think it's like Dude. only like an eighth of recorded history is well, even what most people consider accurate. It's, it's also because history has become politicized. If you try to explain to someone that the native, the Navajo, the tribe, the Native Americans, in 1951, they had to remove what they called the swastika from their ceremonial garb because they learned sun wheel worship from Vikings and Scandinavians who came to North America. The oldest bodies found in North America had red copper hair. They were found in Michigan and Florida bogs. Like it, it, the, the, the Mongolians that traveled over the Bering Strait when it froze over and arrived here that we now call Native Americans weren't the first humans doing stuff here. The giant mounds that you see, the pagan burial mounds, they exist in China. They exist in Iran, Mongolia, Peru. They exist in uh, almost every Incan society had them before the Incans took over. You see them in, um, what, in Tehran? Dude, those, things in are, those things are in Indiana. Yep. They've, Dude, even, got, they've even got those things there. And when you uh, the biggest one that they found, the way that they proved that uh, Hermodides' research met up to reality was when they cracked open one in the base of the Mongolian mountains, right in, uh, I think, what's now Kazakhstan, and uh, not a Borat reference, like really Kazakhstan. Because when that would be very it, nice. When they dug into it, there was, uh, what, 150 horses. There was one man buried in a coffin that was covered by timber 45 feet down under 450 feet of turf. That's over a football field all the way around circumference from stones that were taken from 200 kilometers in every area. People cared about this dude in 900 B.C. And when they dug him up and finally looked at his the condition of his body, for example, they found hemp seed and opium oil. And all these concepts that imply without doubt there was a trading network of nomadic humans that almost circled the globe long before people thought you were riding horses. What we get told in mainstream history is nonsense. I think personally, I agree with the, the Graham Hancock theory. I think 11 eons of human beings have existed on this planet. 
I mean, if you want to look back far enough, there are some philosophers that think the Scythians were descended from Magog, the son of, uh, what is that, the son of Cain and Abel, or the son of Noah's children, descended directly from Noah. Yeah, I mean, Noah's this is son. why, like, 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 I get, you know, I get shit on sometimes in, in some of the Facebook groups or the, the network and stuff like that, because, um, you know, I, I believe in creationist theory, creation theory, yeah. which is the world is basically created as it was in the book of Genesis that, you know, it was created from nothing into something within seven days. And that in our actual timeline, it's 10,000 years. And, and people think, no, that goes against the million years thing. And it's like, you know, if you look at everything you brought up earlier, it's like, you know, the development of bronze tools and things like that, even, you know, lesser minerals like copper and stuff like that. Our understanding of bronze age development and technology, we think that it took, you know, a very short amount of time to do it. But what we keep discovering as we look farther back and back, back and back into, you know, human history, what we're discovering is that the time that our, our understanding of time is not only smaller, it's more condensed. But when you look at the development, our understanding of the bronze age and stuff like that is going way back almost to the beginning, because yeah. a lot of this like, stuff is, is shifting, but none of the books change. None of the teachings change. Yeah. We just say, well, we'll figure this out until like, you know, everyone comes together and we all agree upon this. It's like, no, the facts are kind of pointing to that. You know, our understanding sure. of these different eras are not lining up properly. Well, and, and what I like is basing your theories on provable fact and reality. For example, in uh, the belief is that before, what is it, uh, for, uh, 1482, right, is the first time people started going across open ocean lengths to get to other continents. That's the belief, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like you had all those like Portuguese and Spanish navigators yeah. that were circumnavigating the world. Yeah. Thor, yeah. Thor Humdal disproved the isolationist historical theory in 1947 when he took a collection of logs and sailed clear through from northern Europe to South America. He did so himself with a team of 12 men. You can look this up. Thor oh, Contiki. Yeah. Yep. 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 Dude, exactly. So thank you. So this next leap I take, you're going to, you're going to be able to follow that movies it, on right? Netflix. Everyone should see that soon. Oh, I've, I haven't seen the film. Oh, I, dude, I know about it's freaking crazy. Not, okay, hold on. Pause you. I didn't know. I did not know there was a film. I know about this because I've been knowing about this since I was about 12 years old. Everyone's been calling me all these sorts of racial conspiracy theories for bringing it up. But I'm telling you, the Peruvian sky people were the Scythians who were ejected from Europe because every time the nomadic trade came around, they'd kick off their older males and they'd say, go off and find new places. Go off, take these animals, find a new place to build a herd because I have 1600 acres and you might be my son, but you're going to need 1600 acres. And you're not taking an acre of mine. So go figure out a new spot. I believe in you. Your mother and I love you. Come back and, or, you know, four years from now, use the stars. We're going to meet up at this spot. And they'd write that down. Actually, I'm sorry, the Scythians didn't have a written language, so I don't know how they communicated that. But I'm sure they had a system re-meeting with each other because you don't get to bury a guy on the on the cusp of Mongolia who has opium and marijuana in his pockets. You don't get to bury him without him having access to places that grow those materials. So their trade routes were massive and organized. That's not bumbling around going, they said they'd be here in November. Like, you know exactly where they're going to be and there, when they're there, going to be there. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a book I listened to on Audible. I only got like quarter way through because I got distracted with something else. It, it's called The Lost Civilization Enigma. It's by this historian named Philip Copens. And what he does, he actually takes a lot of the major lost civilization theories that are both, you know, 
potentially real and absolutely false. And what he does, is he gives basically an objective look at both. Like he doesn't believe in like Atlantis, but one thing that he brings up, especially when it comes to understanding, like, uh, you know, everyone thinks, oh, well, the Indians were probably just here. And then what we learn over the last hundred or so years is that, no, the, the Native Americans, as we know them, came from Asia. And that's like, well, you know, even after that, we think that maybe even the Chinese may have come over to California at some point. Oh, no, wait, now we've got Leif Erikson discovering, um, you know, North America and Greenland and Iceland and everything else. And that's like, you know, it seems like this idea that it was just never found isn't necessarily true. Was it rumored? Because, you know, it's a big world and you can't get things out through a tweet. Absolutely. I'm not saying it was just completely known. But one of the things he mentions in the book is this theory that the Romans may have actually sent an expeditionary team out to North America. And, and I don't know if it was in uh, Indiana or in a, or uh, you know s- somewhere else in the Midwest. I think it may have been like North or South Dakota or something. Uh, this this uh, excavation team that were developing like a parking lot or something found what they believed to be a Roman encampment. And what they found was Roman steel, a Roman helmet, Roman coins. And when they actually oh. went ahead and checked out how old that shit was, it went back to the Roman Empire. There's a, there's a lot of pieces of history that people don't like to acknowledge because it breaks away the theory that we all develop. Look, like a creationist theory, like you were talking about before, that's the belief that, that God laid us down within separate borders and within separate times to exist as separate peoples. And I think that mankind, we act like insects. We constantly want to spiral in. We constantly spiral to the top of pyramids and then we unspiral to make pyramids in the opposite direction. seems the way we work in, in every capacity. And uh, for example... Very much like you you likely had not only Romans, but other Nordic Europeans arriving in North America long before we're credited with doing so. The conquistador Cies de Leon, when they were trying to conquer Peru, he said that the Chachapoya people, they were unusually fair skinned and famously beautiful, tall as date trees. They said, and quote, they're the palest and most handsome of all people I have seen in the Indies and their wives were of unrivaled beauty. And this concept arrives directly to the same Easter Island and then subsequently the Baltic Sea and Basque legends of the Amazonian women. Like the concept and description is one to one. You look at the fact that the oldest Buddhist statue ever found had bright blue amethyst eyes. And then you look at the Denisovians in northern Japan having full Asiatic features, but blue eyes and thin wispy hair that could grow full beards and curl and go down to their shoulders without curling. I mean, these are like genetic traits, like RH negative blood type traits that extend beyond your modern conception of history. It's proof that the same genetic related people went to the island rooftops, the mountaintops, as if the world was flooded at some point. And they're all related to each other. And they built the same sort of burial mounds and they built the same sort of primitive technologies like wheels, compound bows, hardened steel, metalworking, gold working, worshiping the sun, believing that the sun and the moon had a special relationship. Like that exact ideological precept existed in the hearts of people who had no physical contact with each other, save an expanse of about 400 years in the early BCE, when there was direct proof of banishment via the Romans and others in regard, uh, pre-Roman even, um, when you're talking about environmental banishment, when you have areas that are collapsing on themselves and new waves coming from the, what they now call, uh, what, Eurasian, I think is now the way they, they, they classify it. 
like Mongolians are Eurasian people because it's the mix between Asian culture coming up into Europe. And yeah, well, I mean, I mean, they forth. say the same thing about like you know, uh, you know, we mentioned Kazakhstan earlier. Yeah. They would even put like the Armenians in that category. Yugoslavia, that type of stuff. It all sounds like it all sounds like Latinx to me. It all just sounds like a bunch of nonsense. People are trying to classify things to make themselves feel better. Like the, my big problem with the out of Africa theory, for example, is it does not explain how human behavior, not pre-human. I understand how proto-human behavior existed in Africa about like they say twenty-eight thousand years ago. It's about the first time you really see it, where you see the creation of pottery and things like that. The creation of things like steel and the tanning of leather. When, I, when things like that are occurring, tattooing, for example, cohesive language, um, the creation of music, concepts like empathy, drawing, legitimate drawing of animals, like when those behaviors start occurring, I see, I see not necessarily human, but all in conjunction, I see human. Because mm-hmm. we know the Neanderthals themselves, they did primitive drawings and paintings. And at the base of Russia, there were multiple reports of like, subhuman creatures living for quite a while among folks. There's one called, I think, like uh, Ayla, Ayla or, Azera, or, or Azaza or something. There was a woman who was technically a Neanderthal. They did genetic testing after she died. She lived to be about 120. She lived between Kazakhstan and Russia for quite a while. And if we're going to talk about human development in that sense, you don't see human, human being activity in Africa until about 8,000 years ago. But you can trace back 35,000 years the origin of what we would now call either uh, European, Indo-European, Hispanic, or Spanish, like Spain specifically. The ability to withstand solar radiation, eat acidic fruit, that directly links from Spain to the same part of the world in the steppes, the steppes, like the right of the recedence of the glaciers that now spawns what we would call a European, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, over six-foot, thick blood, RH negative or O positive. And then like... I don't understand how the science can say clearly one thing, that human beings came down, pushed Neanderthals into Africa where they met other proto-humans who both bred and ate each other before encountering the Iberian Peninsula of Egypt that set up a kingdom. Then they bred again, and then you had the first African developments, the first African civilizations, people that could take the sun without painting themselves in clay like the Egyptians did to avoid getting sunburned. Like, the first time you really see that, the, what are the, the Greeks... I have, I have it written down here somewhere, but the Greeks called them uh, the sunburned ones was the word they had for Africans. So we know that they existed within Greek culture. So it's not, but I, but I don't buy that we all started in Africa. And I understand that that's the main academic theory, but the science doesn't justify that. Instead, I, I mean, the, the, the thing that bothers me the most is that we say that as if that's a definitive claim. But even then, it's like, you know, up until a couple hundred years ago, the... The, the idea was that when you look at Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon Man, and everyone else, w- one, it wasn't even specified that they were different, that they were not of the same homo sapien human structure and you know genetic makeup that we are. That's why when they started doing DNA research and stuff in the 20th century and they started saying, wait, why is it that modern day people have Neanderthal DNA? They started looking at that. And then what they do is they go ahead and they rearrange the timeline of the Stone Age, the Bronze Age and everything else that comes afterwards. I I mean, I I did the whole Ancestry.com thing and I saw that, you know, I got Neanderthal DNA in me. 
And everyone was joking. It's like, well, we always knew you were a bonehead anyway. But but yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, you know, e- even in, you know, creation theory, there's this uh, th- there's this criticism. It's like, well, you know, if God made man and everything else, you know, in like a couple of days, what what justifies, you know, Neanderthal? And I'm like, you mean he didn't name him too? Just because he didn't give him a name and a task doesn't mean he wasn't one of the other animals and doesn't mean that he wasn't loved and doesn't mean that he didn't have a purpose. I mean, within fulfilling that same ideological structure that you're presenting, you could argue that if everything has its own given place and time, some people existed to breed with others to be bred out, just like the mouse exists to feed the owl and the owl exists to feed the man. And Have you ever heard of the Dorians? No. Actually, it sounds familiar. Okay, you you, you probably know this one, but if not, this is going to blow your fucking mind because this is what actually tripped me up to want to learn more about this stuff like six, seven years ago. I was in college at the time, and we were going over Greek history at one point, and there's this era, there's like a 400-year gap in Greek history. It's called the Greek Dark Ages, and basically these guys from up north in Europe came down named the Dorians. They were like this crazy-ass death cult. And what they basically did was they went into the Greek Isles and they wiped out most of the people there. And, and I don't know, I, I think it was on the island of Crete. Um, there's this early Greek uh, colony there that had discovered painting that had its own written culture before like that of the development of like the Greek city states, the polises, Athens, Sparta, that type of stuff. And what the Dorians did was they came down and they fucking killed everybody and they plunged Greece into 400 years of no recorded history. Whew. It is fucking wild. And we, and no one discovered. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we didn't discover them until like, you know, the, the early 1910s when archeologists are going around and they're looking at this, they're like, these guys had paint. These guys had written language. These guys had currency and stuff way before we think Greek history starts. What the fuck happened to them? And that's yeah. when they started discovering who the Dorians were. And they were like, well, shit, who are these dudes that plunged if, them into 400 if, years chance, of darkness? By chance, do you know if the Dorians rode horses? Because they were likely steppe warriors. Think of it this way. Attila the Hun, people don't realize this. Attila the Hun had red hair and gray-blue eyes. Could I have another beer? Attila the Hun had red hair or gray-blue eyes. He was a Scythian descendant. The Scythians, when they died as a culture, their genes didn't go away. They just stopped having the same bulk of area to rove around in. So they were like, all right, you guys take the yaks and go that way. We'll take the horses and go down to Iran and fuck with Palestine for a while. You guys take – I mean there are stories of uh, – all right, you know Xerxes? Xerxes mm-hmm. hired Scythians, Scythian archers in his army because Prince Darius, when he came up into Scythia to, to make a bunch of problems, I think 400 B.C., he encountered the Scythian army, and they kept laughing at him. They wouldn't fight him straight out. And he was outraged, and he chased them all over the landscape. And finally, when they had the two armies facing each other, a rabbit, and this is written by Herodotus and a few others, a rabbit came out between the two armies, and the Scythians started chasing the rabbit, barehanded, chasing the rabbit and making a game of it. And uh, they were complete, like they were treating the Persian army like a joke. And when the Persian army tried to shoot arrows or tried to increase, they'd retreat over hills and then launch volleys of arrows back. And like from hidden positions, like ambushes. So eventually Darius retreated to Persia in, in a disdain and in shame. And the Scythians got this like this reputation of uh, it. You don't want to try to meet them in open combat. It's never going to go your way. Right. And when they finally got broken down, they ended up uh, descending into a couple different variations and races. The Takarians were one that's T-A-K-A-R-Y-A-N-S. So it's Taka Aryans. It's the sim- very similar to the Ariana because look, 
every major mainstream thinker before 1943 used to refer to the area of the steppes as the Aryan coast because it wasn't a coast that referred to water. It was the coast between the Icelandic areas where you couldn't survive unless you had thick blood. And then the, the, the city areas were Greek, where Greece and Rome and Turkey had started to establish their own settlements. And the their Germanic areas were starting to build castles. Like the Tacharians pushed all the way into China to the Tarim basin. And the Tarim basin itself has one of these giant uh, Kerrigans, one of these giant, a whole bunch of these huge pyramid structures. And the Chinese government, has banned outsiders from going there. And they've started to plant trees over there in the past about six years because it's it's uncomfortable for anyone to admit, especially in the Chinese military, that the Chinese cavalry is, a, and I'll, I'll say this without any, any hesitation, the Chinese cavalry by horse and their crossbow and arrow army, both of which developed to make China's military a great imperial force, they were both based directly off the Scythians because they had the at one point the whole asiatic north was enslaved by the scythians and they demanded a tribute every single year and that was only broken when the assyrians took over in like uh maybe 1100 bc when you the see, assyrians I could totally I, I could totally see this alone because if you go out to like some of the oldest nomadic tribes in mongolia national geographic actually did a thing on this they have blue eyes yeah and it's freaky cuz you're looking at this dude who looks Asian as hell, and he has blue eyes. And it's like, how the fuck did that happen? Well, hey, here's something that's crazy. If you have brown eyes, there's a surgery that will remove the excessive melanin from the excess of your iris and give you blue eyes, because the proto-human is blue-eyed. We're not supposed to exist by the equator by that rationale. We existed by the equator by force. Then we had to develop the darker skin. That's the human genome and evolution. You were by the I, equator. I, I think it's down. funny. I think it's funny you bring that up, though, because like Filipinos, for example, Filipinos as a as a culture, as a race, and everything else, you know, impacted by the Spaniards. Filipinos have like the highest rate of cataracts compared to any type of Asianic culture, and it's and it's horrifying in a way because it's like you know these people. It wasn't. It it's not their fault. It's just the fact that because they had this, you know, they had this invader gene come in from the Spanish that they're more susceptible to have it. That's like African-Americans and sickle cells. Sickle cells are supposed to prevent you from getting malaria. If you were surrounded by mosquitoes that had malaria, your sickle cell, you'd be thanking it every single day. But instead, you're like, fuck, I can't eat salt. <laughs> like, and it's like, dude, like, it's a fascinating physiological adaptation. If I, if I, if me and your average black dude got both bit by malarian-ridden mosquitoes, his chance of surviving is 60% higher than me because he has a presumptive capability to develop sickle cell anemia. If, it's, if, the, if the, uh, the epigenetic trigger is hit, his body will save itself. Mine doesn't have that epigenetic development. I'd get really fucking sick. <laughs> like, it's, it's bizarre. Like In the same sense, you get people who have natural venom developments and venom preventatives. I don't even know how that happens. They, it's not the same as allergies. They treat it medically the same way. Like, oh, some people are allergic to rattlesnake venom and some people are not allergic. It's not that they're not allergic. It's that they have a genetic predisposition to disallowing their neuro, the neurotoxin from enabling their system. So it oh, blocks I, I saw this. I saw this growing up in Arizona, like the Mexicans, like the real like day laboring Mexicans. Like, they, you know, they, they didn't want to go near a rattlesnake, but the odds of them getting bit versus, you know, a regular like white guy getting bit. The Mexican's gonna go and like, you know, he's gonna probably work for another hour 
and, and then pro- maybe go see a doctor, but probably just, you know, try and get, try and push it out and then rest for a little bit and take some Tylenol. A white Splash guy. Splash something on there. Yeah. 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 A white guy is going to do it. He's going to go to the hospital. He's got to get, you know, hooked up with an IV and immediately they've got drag anti-venom, which is probably going to give him cancer a few years later because it's poisoned your blood. And that guy's never getting up to do much else for the next year or so. It, it, it's crazy how when we when we look at human movement and everything else, we, we want to think that it's like this this tightly kept neat package of things. But the more and more we go on, the more we're starting to understand that um, a lot more of this was spontaneous and a lot more of this is just out of out of our current understanding because we're, we're not taught things this way. And, and Tim, we go for another hour. We got to do a follow up to this. We, we should start really like doing segments for this. But I got five minutes and I've got just a bunch of speed round questions I want to shoot at you. Let me get them. OK. Do you believe that man and dinosaurs coexist at the same time? No. Really? Well, technically, because alligators I mean, alligators, woolly mammoths, giant lizards that resemble to have dragons. Okay, I think that it's it's possible, but not 100% of them. Maybe 10% of the dinosaur species was around by the time Homo sapien walked here. Okay, I, I, could, I, could, I could see that. Uh, ancient alien theory. I think it makes, dude, it, it, all right, if I had not accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and understood that it wasn't until God sent his son to die that I could finally gain redemption. The other Perhaps. theory is aliens. <laughs> the other theory is 100% that's where That's 100% where I am. I mean, it's like if I was not a Christian, I would totally have to believe it was aliens. It's the only yeah. logical thing. Yeah, the hyperborean philosophy, man. Like, I'm sorry. That just That's the secondary. Well, there's Ezekiel's machine in the Old Testament where it's like, you know, it came down with what they basically describe as rotors and everything else. And it's like, dude, that thing's a freaking spaceship. If you look dude, if you look into Islam, if you look into the way that they describe the angels above Mecca coming down to engage in combat, it's the same exact system. Mm-hmm. So we've got multiple evidences from eyewitnesses about aliens. But I don't know what else to call them, but uh, it's, right. it's the only way. Um, who, uh, who, who do you think built the pyramids? I think that mankind was encouraged to do it, but I'm, I cannot definitively say at whose bequest. Uh, Atlantis. I think that something we would refer to now as Atlantis certainly existed, but I believe, and I know, I know for a fact the loam deposits themselves say there was a flood. So there was a continent of severely, severely advanced individuals at some point called what we would now call Atlantis. Tim, we, we, we got to keep the series going. We'll, we'll talk after this. If people want to follow you on Instagram, how could they do so? Oh, you can go to Tim Talks 6, T-I-M-T-A-L-K-S-S-I-X, or you can go to T-I-M Throws Things. That's, that's one where I don't talk any politics, but I throw knives. And I figured that account's not going to get taken down because I don't talk in the <laughs> shop. I just throw knives. That's all I do. I don't uh. talk about anything. So... Yeah, but uh, yeah, anyone that enjoyed this, you know what I mean? Look up the steps, S-T-E-W-P-E. That's a great place to start, Step Warriors. Remzo, I've known you for years. I love you, brother. I'm glad I'm glad you've really come into it. I can hear it in the way you're presenting yourself. You're a lot more comfortable. And it, it, it felt real natural. I didn't even realize the time flew by, dude. Like, it's, yeah. 
Well, I appreciate Tim, your modern day Robin Hood. Folks, it costs you nothing but means everything to me a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to the program across Al Gore's amazing internet. And as always, I'll talk to you later in the week. Be good, be safe. Good day.